What's up, everyone? I'm Doug Kide, joined as always by Michael Hurley on Pat's Chat. This is take three. How you mm-hmm. doing, Mike? I'm good. Um, this is our third time trying. I think we're going to nail it. Uh, we're already off 30 seconds and running, so I'm feeling good. How are you? I'm doing well. We got the Super Bowl on Sunday. Patriots have a new offensive line coach. We got lots of stuff to discuss. Ooh, we got we got the Super Bowl hat on your noggin there. I've got the big uh, Super Bowl fan. I've got the Super Bowl live right here for uh, my daughter Olivia. I've, I've got, got LV she- for uh, uh, Las Vegas, the city. <laughs> it's cool. For uh, it was three dollars on Fanatics, so that's why I got it. It's pretty sweet. I've got a uh, Super Bowl LVI helmet there too. Nice. I think um, a lot of the LV memorabilia was cheap on Fanatics because only like twenty thousand people could go to that Super Bowl, <laughs> so there was some leftover uh, leftover merchandise. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That was one of the few Super Bowls in the last few years that I've not been to, um, and I'm not going to be at this one either. But yeah. Still excited for the game. Let's kick things off, though, talking about the Patriots and talking about Mr. Adrian Clem because mm. I guess it hasn't been formally announced by the Patriots yet at this point. Everyone's still basically just dealing off the one report from ESPN, correct? That Adrian Clem is expected to join the Patriots coaching yeah. staff. And that Sounds was like contrary some... to what Dan Lanning said, that he wasn't expecting any changes to his staff. So there, yeah. Dan. Sounds like some some legalese at play with the contracts, I would guess, because I did see that we for whatever reason we know all of the details of Adrian Clem's contract as associate head coach slash run game coordinator slash offensive line coach at Oregon, which Is I find he's odd. A but state employee? Eh, yeah, probably. Smarty pants. Uh, but it's something like a, a two hundred and twenty five thousand dollar buyout if he left before February twenty eighth or something. So I'm sure there's some lawyers and, and contract writers uh, mm. dotting I's, crossing T's, doing all of that because I I, I am not familiar with $100,000 contracts personally, you know, multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars at once. So yeah. I, I assume it takes a little bit of time. So would that mean that he would have to pay that back or that the Patriots would have to pay Oregon $225,000? My, my guess. I realize I'm. I realize I'm asking you after you literally just yeah. said that you don't understand. It's, but I'm still it seems going like, to ask you. It seems like he's going to get that from Oregon. Oh, that's cool. By leaving, <laughs> good for him. Maybe that's so. Maybe that's two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. <laughs> the Patriots don't have to pay him as part of the reported pay raise. That's fair. But yeah, he was going to wow, make a that's... lot of money eight hundred eight hundred fifty thousand dollars. So this is my 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 initial takeaway of of this is it adds to a a massive philosophy shift from Bill Belichick where last year you had an offensive coordinator for all intents and purposes. You had an offensive line coach and you had a quarterbacks coach where the dollar investment was next to zero. Mm -hmm. And this year you have Bill O'Brien who we assume costs what? $3 million. You have Adrian Clem who we assume costs $1 million. Now Will lying. I don't know how much more he's making than Nick Cayley was making, but the point is the, the dollar amount invested in some critical positions has gone from zero to the millions, which is positive for the present and will only serve to make the 2022 season more mystifying because (laughs) they're important positions that cost money and and it will never make sense. And it makes less sense. But if you don't want to cry over spilt milk, the positive is going forward. They have a functional 
experienced offensive coaching staff. So I am not a big consumer of sports media. I produce mm. sports media. Uh, so I'm, in my spare time, I don't consume a lot of sports media. So I don't know if people have specifically made this point yet, but I did write about the, this this week on a Substack. Uh, I'll be writing for an actual website again soon. Uh, but I had not seen the point made that the two positions that the Patriots didn't really invest any money in coaching-wise last year were quarterback and offensive line. Patriots used a first-round pick on Mac Jones in 2021. He is a quarterback. Patriots used a first-round pick on Cole Strange in 2022. He is an offensive lineman. And it just feels strange to have them coached two first-round picks. Like, your most important players on offense to develop by people who had never coached those positions before. Like, obviously the point had been made that those guys hadn't coached positions before, but I just personally had not seen the point made that those were your last two first-round picks. You didn't use a first-round pick in 2020, and in 2019, you used a first-round pick on Nikhil Harian, who was his position coach? Joe Judge. Joe Judge, who had never coached his position before either. So this will be the first year, I mean, I guess that's a backwards way of looking at it, but yeah, like, Quite, quite honestly, the Patriots have not done a great job putting their first-round offensive players in positions to succeed coaching-wise, and that should now change this year. And you have to hope that Mac Jones and Cole Strange aren't permanently broken from what happened last year the way that Nikhil Harry was. I'm not blaming Joe Judge for like all of Nikhil Harry's <laughs> misfortunes Nikhil or anything Harry. like that, but like that couldn't have helped. I don't know, you know? Yeah. No, you're right. I, I think... For as much as we all focus on the quarterback, because we are quarterback-obsessed, cornerback, a horny nation, I always say. <laughs> we are horny for quarterbacks. I think I held off a lot of judgment on Cole Strange for that very reason, because how much coaching is he getting? And he's a guy, it's not as if he was coming from Alabama or, or a major big-time program. He's coming from the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, playing against guys like he had to block Doug Kyad one game and then he had to block Mike Hurley the next. So he needed more coaching. He didn't get it obviously. So I, I think there, that is significant for, for his standpoint to get a real coach an experienced coach by all means, uh, someone who's had a lot of jobs. Uh, I don't know how long term of a signing it is, but uh, in the meet, they needed someone immediately. So uh, it's certainly a positive there because I think the Mac Jones thing we'll get to because we always do, but, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't lose track of that because you're right. <laughs> If you're going to draft a guard in the first round from a small school, you should have a coach for him. You should have a position coach for him who's ready to work with him every single day. And you right, do. and like like maybe Billy Yates was doing some of that. But like Matt Patricia not only was a guy who had, hadn't coached offensive line beyond like one season in the 2010s or whatever it was, or 2000s, but also was like moonlighting as an offensive play caller. So it's not only as if you weren't giving Cole Strange – an experienced position coach, you were giving him a distracted position coach as right. well in Matt Patricia. So I don't know. I mean, we could probably talk about Cole Strange until the cows come home. Um, could we? Could we? I mean, I think I've reached my max. <laughs> well, I'm out, I, I'm out of Cole Strange co content. He's, he, like, can we can we mention the fact that he was a first round pick? You like sort of wasted a year with him with Matt Patricia as your, as your offensive line coach. And he's going to be 25 already this season. 
Like, I feel yeah. like that point kind of can't be lost. Like, I think that when you draft a 24-year-old guard out of Chattanooga, like, especially at that age, like, you kind of expect him to be gangbusters right away. I guess ideally he becomes Kyle Duggar, but a little bit, a little bit better. Cause he's like, <laughs> Kyle Duggar was another highly picked old prospect out of a small school and it's wound up working out fine. But I also think that yeah. he probably would have wanted to get a little bit more out of Kyle Duggar the first two years of his career. I don't know. I want to say this for our podcast listeners. Cause I checked before you mentioned Kyle Duggar. Cause I knew he was an older pick. He's turning 27 next month. Three years into his career, he's turning 27 in March. That's not young. It's not young. I mean, he's got three years of prime left, and then maybe three years of mid mid to post prime. But that's uh, yeah, you're right. No, uh, a waste. Well, the crazy year thing about that be... too is that I, oh, Jonathan... let me let me push back. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, sorry. I'll yeah. Say something nice. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say a wasted year because yeah. Cole Strange did take something like 90 percent of the offensive snaps at a position that, while it isn't a premium position, you need human beings there and he filled it for 90 percent of the season so they got decent play out of him and i think the fact that he was decent given that scenario does bode well for how he can do in a real system with real coaches yeah um wasted is tough to say i just i mean like things just seemed so bad on the offensive line and like you changed systems on your offensive line too like you went from using like words to numbers and now i don't know mm. what they're gonna do this year so it just it was a year where he probably should have been able to develop more and i actually do think that he bounced back pretty well over the last quarter of the season but i also feel like it can't be lost that in what one or two straight games he got benched also um yeah. the jets game and the colts game which like yeah that happens to rookies but it, like it's it's a tougher pill to swallow when you're taking the 24-year-old out of Chattanooga that everyone expected to go in the third round and wound up going in the first round. And, like, if he had been benched as a third rounder, though, I don't know. It's it's belaboring the point. Like, he's going to be better this season. He's going to have a real offensive line coach. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that the Patriots looked at Adrian Clem and said he's worth a million dollars or whatever they are going to right. pay him. Because, like, one year of experience coaching the offensive line in the NFL. Um, he's been an offensive line coach since what, like 2009 or something at this point? Been a long time. He was obviously drafted 23 years ago, so he's right. He's, he's experienced in the position of offensive line. He's been if at not. UCLA. He's been at Oregon. I forget where else he's coached. But like, is that a little bit surprising to you? Where like, yeah, yeah, because this is yeah. not an organization known for high contracts to assistants that aren't haven't been around forever and, and add right. throw Gerard Mayo into the mix too, with the amount of money being poured into the, into the coaching staff, you know, it was mm -hmm. reported last year at some point that bill Belichick salary is $25 million. And we know that there was a lot of money saved last year. So maybe it's doubled up this year, but whatever <laughs> right. it may be, I don't know if it comes out of bill bell. I would doubt it would come out of his salary. What kind of contract would that be? But there there's clearly a, it was clearly laid bare that a budget coaching staff gets you a budget football team. And I think right. it, the result was a wasted year. It really was a wasted year because your defense was very good. Um, your defense would have been better if it didn't have to be on the field as much as it was because your offense never possessed the ball. I think they ranked what 27th in time of possession. So it was all connected and, and it cost them wins and it cost them a playoff spot and it cost them money as an organization for that reason. So I think it's, it's 
sort of what we all expected to happen. And I think that's the worst part is right. nobody didn't see this coming or to put in a non double negative. Everybody saw it coming except for the man <laughs> in charge. So it's it's again, I'm like the crying over spilt milk. guy. I don't want to make a huge deal over that. But I do just to mention we talked about Cole Strange getting a raw deal. This is my dumb where my dumb brain goes. You know who got the rawest deal of it all? Bill Murray. They were like, hey, Bill Murray, you're an offensive lineman now. Give it a whirl. <laughs> he was like, all right, what do I do? And they were like, we don't um, know. Hmm. Uh, you have TikTok? There's a lot of good stuff on there. Check that out. Come back tomorrow. So poor Bill Murray uh, had no chance to succeed as, as an offensive lineman. Yeah, that's tough. Uh, to be an offensive lineman who's being coached by a defensive line coach when he used to be a defensive lineman. It's just a confusing situation all along, all, all along there. Um, Adrian Clem, though, I was looking up his resume, also known as Wikipedia. Uh, and yeah, he's been an offensive line coach since 2009, but th- only three of those seasons came in the NFL. And it's kind of a weird resume because he went from SMU to UCLA. And by the end of his time at UCLA, he was associate head coach, run game coordinator, and offensive line coach. That's a lot of titles. And then he goes to the Steelers to become, wait, then he took two years off? And then goes to the Steelers as assistant line coach. So um, I don't know what happened in those two years. Uh, I guess that's, I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Maybe he had to find himself. Um, Ooh, yeah. He and, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, so I, I guess did that see... explains why he like went from being all those things to an assistant offensive line coach after two years off. I don't know. It's just like, it. it I, I think this is going to go well, but this isn't like you're like, all right, I'm going to pay a million dollars to get a clone of Dante Scarnecchia. Like you're paying a million dollars for someone who's only been an offensive line coach, not an assistant offensive line coach in the NFL for one season. And it was like kind of a weird year for the Steelers where Ben Roethlisberger was like dropping back and immediately throwing the ball because he didn't want to get hit. And they still got sacked a decent amount. I don't know. It was just a weird year. And he left the team in December. With right. Yes. And they went, went on to make the playoffs. So certainly weird. But I did see, I, I don't have the numbers for me, but I know that there was a massive turnaround at Oregon year to year. So even if it is a short-term uh, yeah, coaching hire, coaching investment, the fact that he had that instant success at Oregon from, from the year before he came to the year he was there yeah. in sacks and rushing, uh, I think maybe makes him an ideal candidate for what they need because <laughs> they need – a lot. Uh, they need to get Trent Brown invested. They need a right tackle, whether mm-hmm. that's Isaiah Wynn, whether that's Trent Brown, then they need a left tackle. So it's not done. I, I wouldn't say it's done, but you, this is certainly sort of the, the foundation from which they can build upon. And when you when you go cheap one year and it hurts, you end up overpaying the next year. I think that's, that's the case. I mean, we saw that in the roster building in 2019 mm-hmm. to 2020 after a bad roster where Demir Bird is your number one receiver. Like, what the hell? In uh, your tight end group is the 2019 tight ends group. They had the rookies and was 20, Lacoste still around? 20. That's, you're talking about when they drafted. You're talking about 2020. 20, yes, yes. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. 2020. Uh, they had they had uh, the the third rounder from Virginia Tech who was Dalton sort of Keen, Devin Asiasi, yeah. uh, Matt Lacoste. Maybe, maybe Lacoste. That maybe. might have been the year that Eric Tomlinson got involved, but that might have been 2019. Either way. Also, yeah. You had that, then you overpay yeah. for two tight ends the next year. Right. You had Demir Bird and Jacoby Myers as your top receivers, and then you pay for Aguilar and Bourne. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of a repeat. I, uh, 
I think what I'm getting at, Doug, is where is the planning? You know, there this used to be a team that was always ten steps ahead of the game, that always out like prepared and had backup plans for backup plans weird. for backup plans. Yeah. And it's just a constant state of reacting to of being one year late issues. To everything. Yeah. yeah. Quarterback yeah. they were a year late. Uh, tight ends, receiver, they were three years tight late. End. Tight ends, they were like insanely late. I don't know why yes. they never drafted a tight end. Um, offensive they just coaches. Rob Gronkowski was going to play forever and never get injured, even though he retired yeah. at 30 and got so injured. So just the, the, yeah, like the landmark characteristic of the organization is no more. So we're yeah, turning strange. a positive into a negative, but how can you not notice that it's just a repeat of what they did with the roster a few years ago and what they did? I mean, I would say using a 15th overall pick on a quarterback when you're two years after the fact of, of really three years, because it was the summer of 2019 when they didn't sign Tom Brady long-term, and that's when the clock should have begun, and it just it took a year and a half, two years to do it. I don't know, Doug. I don't know why that's the case, but it's 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 harmful to the overall health of the team. I'm going to tell you one other person who got a raw deal. Um, mm-hmm. And it, this this is not a player who gets a lot of sympathy from Patriots fans. Okay. Um, not one of the least popular players on the Patriots Isaiah last year, Wynn. I would say. It is Isaiah Wynn. Yeah. The Patriots took Isaiah Wynn from mm-hmm. left tackle, yeah. a position that he had been playing on the team for three years. He was told okay. Him, yeah, pretty good. Like, it was okay. Not, he was an above average NFL left tackle. Which I would is like, say top 16 of yes. top 16. He might have been 16. He might have been yeah. complete. But Agreed. like, it's better than like, it's fine. It's, I, in my opinion, using the 23rd overall pick on the 16th best left tackle in the NFL, not the worst investment. They won Super Bowls when Matt Light was like the 13th best left right. tackle in the NFL. So. You can do so it. What do, so what do they do with, with Isaiah Wynn, with poor Isaiah Wynn? They tell him, hey, you've played left tackle your entire career. In college, you played left guard. We're going to move you to right tackle for no reason. Mm-hmm. Even yes. though Trent Brown is a proven right tackle in the NFL, you're a proven left tackle in the NFL, and not only are you going to move to right tackle, you're not going to have an offensive line coach. And then, like, obviously it didn't help that he didn't play well and that he got injured. But like, you could say that maybe he didn't play well because he was playing a new position and being coached by Matt Patricia. But like to do that to him after not picking up his fifth year option, right? Yeah. They didn't pick up his fifth year option. Yes. Correct. Wait, no, they did. No, they didn't. They did. They did. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 he right, played on He was 20 year. Michelle. He was 20. Yeah. So they picked up his fifth year option. So now, but now he's going into free agency and you're saying, all right, but now you're a bad right tackle. Whereas previously, you were the 16th best left tackle in the NFL. Like that's just a he's like the pay cut that he's going to take from going from like from there. It's it's just brutal. I don't know. I'm yeah. You're I'm right. talking too much about it, but it's it was. I'm a not going to argue with you. Yeah. Not going to argue with you. You're right. I'm sure that some people will. Um, let's talk a little bit about Mac Jones because I feel like there's beyond Adrian Clem, who we managed to talk about for like 20 minutes. There's not a whole lot going on in the NFL right now. But so those, what was it? The fifth year options came out for players who were drafted in 2020. So we saw like the figures that like Joe Burrow would, uh, all these other guys would make. I think that that kind of kickstarted the conversation of like, do you really want to give a fifth year option of like $30 million or whatever it is to Mac Jones next year? Because that's what it's going to cost you. I I don't think it's really fair to be having that conversation yet. But I think it's get, kind of being forced on people 
because there's not that much else going on. So we're having to have this conversation like two years too early now at this point, whatever it is. And I don't know, like, yeah, right now I probably wouldn't give Mac Jones $30 million or whatever, but we also don't know how he's going to play next year. Um, I don't know, though. I, I It's a tough situation with Mac Jones because, like, Derek Carr is off on a visit with the New Orleans Saints or whatever. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be a free agent. I think there are cases to be made that the Patriots would be would have a higher floor if they did make a move for someone like Derek Carr or made a move for someone like Jimmy Garoppolo. But obviously the upside is there with Mac Jones still, but I don't know. Like it's just, it's a weird off season for Mac Jones just because he, he took t- such a massive step back last season. Yeah. Um, I texted, did we talk about this? I wrote in January, I kind of looked ahead to this because I'm way ahead of the game. Unlike the Patriots, I am, I am thinking ahead. And I looked at quarterbacks who had their fifth year option picked up. Cause to me, I, I always look at, like, I, I probably brought it up before. I always look at Baker Mayfield. Yeah. Uh, number one overall pick, correct? Am I right about yes, that? correct. Taking the, the top of the first round. Yeah. Entered a situation, uh, head coach gets fired a year and a half in, the offensive coordinator changes his first three years. He didn't get his fifth-year option picked up. And I yes, feel he, like yes. he's – he's no, he got traded. Yeah, he didn't get a second deal or or a fifth year option. He played four years in Cleveland, if I'm not but mistaken. Then he had to take, no, no, no. He he did, and then he had to take a pay cut to get traded to Cleveland. Traded to Carolina. I mean, yeah, he he got traded. He had the fifth year option picked up, and then he was traded to Carolina. But he had to take a pay cut off that fifth year option for Carolina to, to trade for. Oh. Him. Yeah. Got it. Yes. Got it. The point is he was considered yes. trash by the team that drafted him. Um, <laughs> and then he gets traded again. I, I just think there's so much. Like, he's now five years into his career, and we still don't know if he's good or not. I think right. we have feelings that he's not, but there are reasonable variables that have made him not as good as he potentially could be. So right. that's where I'm looking at Mac after two years. Now, let's say he has a stable Bill O'Brien-led system for the next two years, we will have a good idea. We will have a better idea. So to your point, it is kind of a waste of time to do the exercise now because you said it was a wasted year for for Cole Strange, and I pushed back, but I get it because it was kind of a a wasted year for everyone evaluation-wise. It's it's hard. I even like Taekwon Thor. All these guys, I'm not going to to sit here and try to make long-term assessments based off a year where – Everything was a mess, and now stabilization has come. And if that continues for the next two years, then we can have conversations about these guys. I know that's not very uh, sports media conducive, but you kind of have to be reasonable about it. Uh, I'm I'm going to come out with a fiery hot take. Okay. I will say right now, what is it, February 9th, 7.40 p.m., the Patriots should not pick up Mac Jones' fifth-year option next year. I think it's a Bold. bad idea. For, the pay, for a team to pick up the fifth-year option of a quarterback, honestly, just in general. Because either yeah. you are confident enough in that quarterback to give him a six-year contract extension worth $400 million or whatever it is, or you are fine taking a slight risk that he is going to exceed expectations in the year, you know, in that fourth year, 
And if he does, and if he's fantastic, and if you want to keep him around, then you just slap that franchise tag on him. And it's not yeah. that much more money. It's like five million more dollars. So like either you are going to give a quarterback that you're that you clearly don't believe in enough to give him a contract extension. Money that is fully guaranteed. Like you cannot get out of that contract anymore at this point. So I don't know. I, I just think that like fifth year options for quarterbacks, if you've even put yourself in that position, mm. is a bad idea. So good point. Because yeah. Doug, there's a there's a real concrete example in Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, the Giants, yes. The Giants said, "No, nah, this guy sucks." Probably. No. Yeah. And then he had a good year, not a great year. Right. But I declare that option would have paid him twenty three million next year. Yeah. Is Daniel Jones after that very good year going to get more than twenty three million next year? Like if he I gets a franchise tag, so. I think a transition like 30, tag is going to be like twenty eight million or something. It's like yeah. yeah, just put the transition tag on him. It costs you five million more dollars. And honestly, yeah. it's a good thing because he was good. Yeah. And now you've got a quarterback that you believe in. It's like, yeah, I'll pay five million dollars for that. It's and yeah. Lamar Jackson as <laughs> I don't know if he's like the I don't I, I really don't know what to make of Lamar Jackson. Well, he's the unicorn in this situation. He is, but after after everything that just happened, who knows what happens with his contract. So right. it speaks to I don't know, maybe we shouldn't use him, but he was a first round quarterback but you you don't want to get stuck with the baker mayfield fifth year option you don't want to get stuck with the sam darnold fifth year option like if you do not believe in this player then you can't pick up the fifth year option and if you do believe in him you should give him a contract extension extension it's it's like literally that simple the Bengals and the chargers don't need to make decisions on a fifth year option for joe burrow and justin herbert because they should be signing them to massive contract extensions so yeah, and with two, well, it's a piece of leverage. It's a piece of leverage, at least when the when the negotiations do happen. Right, and I mean with with Tua, I don't think you should give him the fifth year option because yeah, I don't know if you can fully believe in it at this point. And like I said, if it works out, great, and give him the franchise tag or the transition tag, and you're in better shape anyway. So I don't know. That's my opinion. We just talked about something that I said didn't matter for like six minutes, but um, yeah, that's I, what we, we do. I believe, yes, I believe you had other opinions on Mac Jones as well, or another thing to talk about with Mac Jones. Well, I just feel like when they when they brought in Bill O'Brien and when they brought in Adrian Clem, and there was just the sort of like, well, now Mac has no excuses, and it's like, is that how your brain works? <laughs> it's just so weird that people like us that I think were rational about what was going on and realistic were kind of made out to be sort of defenders of Mac, and like that's right. not. I've been up front. Mac Jones doesn't excite me as a football player yet. It possibly could happen. It possibly could not. He could be Sam Darnold. He could be Baker Mayfield. He could be better than that. Yeah. I, I tend to think he's got a higher ceiling than those guys because of his accuracy. I think he's sort of looked at as a guy who only succeeded because of his talent in Alabama. And the talent at Alabama was undeniable. Don't get me wrong. But his, he, set a, he set a NCAA record for accuracy. He completed like 70% of his passes that year, which yeah. to me translates. There's some passes he makes that are very high level, and there are plays that he makes that are very high level, and he gets knocked for not being mobile and maybe not having the strongest arm in the world, but I just think there's this sort of toxicity in the Mac Jones conversation that so many people are coming from so many different angles that I just... I don't know. It gets ugly and messy. It's not quite the cam conversations that we discussed the other day, but it's, I don't know. There's something charged in there with whenever you talk Mac Jones. And I just think rather than see all these coaching moves and say, well, now Mac's got no excuse. You could say, well, now we can 
fairly assess Mac. Right. Maybe he'll be good. Maybe he will struggle. But now we can fairly look at him in an in a in an NFL real situation because last year wasn't it. I I, I think that this is one hundred percent going to be like you are going to know what you have in Mac Jones after this season because. And he needs to play better. He needs to play probably even better than he was as a rookie. Because I would say that, Definitely. you know, based on the lack of mobility, based on maybe the lack of arm strength, like, like there's a there's a lower ceiling with Mac Jones. So, like, if after year three, he's not a top 15 quarterback or a top whatever it is, top 10 quarterback, like, chances are he's not going to become one. Like, that's not just going to, like, all of a sudden – click in like year six or seven or whatever it is just because like he probably doesn't have the tools to eventually become that and he doesn't have the high upside to become that so yeah i think that we're going to have a very good idea of what mac jones is even probably within like the first four or five weeks of the 2023 season um and that's another point as to why like the whole fifth year option thing we don't know yet um but if he does take a gigantic step forward then yeah, the Patriots should be trying to extend him anyway. Right. Fair point. And you remember you were at training camp when he was a rookie and he yes. was outperforming Cam Newton. He was throwing touchdowns in the red zone. He was running the offense like he knew what he was doing. So yeah. I think people just forget that. Um, I do think his rookie season, even though it was one of the better rookie seasons uh, in NFL history, I guess, as a quarterback, I do think that was overstated. I never mm-hmm. felt it, he was really exceptional throughout that year, but he was he – was, capable as a rookie which is a rare thing and i just think there's got to be anyone that maybe hates him now or is disgusted by him now should at least be open to the possibility of him picking up where he left off two years ago that's all that that was my thought on that definitely uh let's talk one or two other patriots things in here uh matthew slater was on like a weird like oh my computer's shifting down um matthew slater was on like pastors religious podcast or something like that past pastor chat I, you know what? I'm going to be honest. I don't listen to pastor chat. Um, but it was interesting that he was basically like, yeah, well, I'd take a, I'd take a coaching job with the Patriots and like, just like flat out and honest about it. And given the way that the Patriots are just like handing out jobs to former Patriots players at this point, I think that Bill Belichick <laughs> would probably like give it to him. Like he could probably have yeah. one. Yeah. He's a guy that I think if is, if he's willing to work, at Foxborough Stadium, excuse me, at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, you'd let him do it as long as he wants. Right. I would I would name a wing of the building after him <laughs> and let him do whatever he wants. Have him like have an after school program for the players after practice. I don't know. Like there's he's a guy you want around. And I think yeah. that's the point. And I think that's the fact that some guys want to retire and step away and disappear for a few years and then maybe reemerge later. If he if he wants to step into that, we talked about it on this podcast. If he wants to be a strength and conditioning uh, just to be in the gym, getting people jacked up, getting people getting people working the way that he knows is a championship level. It's a good thing. I mean, I don't know. Just does the uh, does the post game celebration? Oh yeah, carry on without him, or does he need to be there on the staff? I, think, I don't know. I think he needs to be there on the staff. Been doing it forever. He has since since Brewski retired. I would guess two thousand nine. I think two thousand ten. Is that when Brewski retired? I think it was around then. Yeah, Slater. Maybe was there was a gap. 08. Yeah, maybe he wasn't doing it as a second-year player, but right. someone had to pick up the slack. That is a lot to ask to say. What? Who likes winning football games? Oh yeah, but people what if Matthew believe. Slater, after like barely playing 
any offense or on offensive or defensive snaps throughout his NFL career, just became like like the best wide receiver coach in the NFL, or like the best safeties coach in the NFL. It wouldn't shock me. I mean, Bill, Bill Belichick me was a Bill Belichick was a mediocre guard at Wesleyan or center, uh, and and he's a pretty good football coach. I don't think the, coaching is a skill, just yeah. like. You know, Antonio Brown would make a lousy wide receivers coach. He's one of the oh, best receivers come on, that's in harsh. my life. I'm sorry. It's the truth. Uh, Ted Williams was a lousy baseball coach. He was the best hitter that ever lived. Uh, Tom Brady would make a crappy coach, too, because he'd look not. at someone and be like, why can't you just why can't you just do it? I don't understand yeah. what we're doing here. So I think someone like Slater, who understands everything that goes into everything, would be a damn good coach. So I think that would be a, a positive for the Patriots if he came on as a coaching assistant. And was still around the team, so I think that's a positive for the team as well. This is this. There's no negative spin on this one either. So suck no, on that. True. Fine, I will. Uh, <laughs> Tom Brady. We, this wasn't in, in our notes, but I just thought of it. First of all, what do we think about Tom Brady saying he's going to take a year off before starting to work for Fox? That's ownership. To me, that sets off some red flags. Yeah. But then, and like one of those red flags is. Okay, is this guy like really retired or is he like, but, 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 but I don't think you can ask Bill Belichick to be on your, your retirement podcast if you don't really retire. He can do whatever he wants. No, but you're right because remember, remember Jay Cutler went into broadcasting, right? And then it was what, August and Tannehill broke his shoulder or something. Right. The Dolphins were like, uh, Jay Cutler, you want to play quarterback? And he was like, yeah, I guess so. So right. that like that was the end of Jay Cutler's broadcast career. So yeah, there is an element that, and Brady didn't even close the door. He wasn't even like being wishy washy. He was just, I think, being honest. A rare uh, moment yeah. for him. You listen to that podcast, by the way. It's like, hey Tom, here's yeah. a, here's a question, and Tom answers like sincerely and is like very emotional. It's like that question brought to you by Macy's, American <laughs> Express, Exxon Mobil, Pepsi Cola, and Frosted Flakes. Tom eats them all. Um, it's a tough listen. Not gonna lie, he but, eats Macy's. He eats Macy's. Uh, I don't know. He once went That's on the radio. That's a weird part said, of the like, Guerrero uh, diet. He was on the radio once and was getting pushback on the Guerrero thing and said, like, Frosted Flakes, people think it's food and it's not, and people drink soda. And it's like, he's right, but, I mean, can't change the country's eating habits no. in one radio interview. But the point is, uh, I lost the point. But I think well, he, Brady yeah. was kind of open. Like, I don't know that I'll never – that I will want to be retired forever, and we'll see. But I don't, man, I don't understand why the man retired. I don't understand it. I don't get it. No, Still don't I don't think it. he does. I don't think he does. I like, he didn't seem like he had clarity. I know or peace. So or why closure. is he doing this? Like if he was able to fly to New York and watch his son's football games or whatever. Like I know that he's like I don't know. It's tough to say. He's like clearly not mm-hmm. getting out of time with his kids and everything like that. So like maybe that's why he wants to do it, but. Yeah. I don't know. Like he can still play and for him to take this year off, it's just a little weird. Uh, but good for Greg Olson, yeah. I guess your, your, your favorite announcer, Greg Olson. He gets to be oh, the number poor one. Poor Greg. Oh, poor Greg Olson. Oh my God. He's going to lose his job through no fault. It's like Alex Smith. You know what it's like? It's like when Alex Smith lost a job to Colin Kaepernick, who was one of the most dynamic players at the position we had ever seen at the time where Alex Smith was the most basic B of all time. And everyone's <laughs> like, Oh, you can't lose your job to injury. It's like, no, he lost his job by being mediocre for yeah. four years prior to Kaepernick yeah. showing up and letting the world on fire. Uh, so it's the same thing to me. Greg Olson. Fine. 
He's fine. I'm not going to cry for him if he goes to the number two job on Fox. It's just right. it's just truly not a tragedy unless Tom Brady stinks, which I suppose is a possibility. Alex Smith, weird career. He was awful for the first like five years, four years, something like that in San Francisco. And then like was a pretty good quarterback pretty much yeah. out of nowhere for the, yeah. both the 49ers and the Chiefs. Yeah. Um, lost his job to People forget icons. Pat, Pat, Patrick Mahomes sat behind Alex Smith. That is yeah. – Incredible. Never forget also, Doug, week one of 2015, Alex Smith threw for about 8 million yards at Gillette Stadium on the Thursday night season opener. I still can't believe it. That was when, uh, uh, what's his face, the running back made his debut uh, out of Akron? No. Don't. Kareem don't. Hunt? Yes. Where did he go to college? Probably Akron. Somewhere small. Somewhere yeah. small. I think it was Akron. Somewhere in the MAC. He was a MAC guy. Yeah, I'd never heard of him before that night. He had like 700 receiving yards. Was, I, uh, I thought was, the Patriots were going to draft him that entire offseason. Um, and I guess in some ways it's good that they didn't. Um, I'm going to get his college, Doug. I'm going to get it. I th- Really? Uh, I think it was Akron, but you might be... Kareem Hunt. Oops. We're just going to leave dead air. Completely All right, dead it was, air. It was the 2017 season. You'll have to okay. forgive me on that. Not 2015. But they win so many Super Bowls. He went to Toledo. Toledo, uh, God damn it! It wasn't uh, Akron. Same um, thing. We let's talk about the Super Bowl a little bit. Um, yeah, we'll we'll wait until maybe towards the end to talk about like the actual game and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a lot going on on Super Bowl week, and I think mm-hmm. that that's kind of a good place to start. You put in this in these here notes. Do you have Super Bowl Media Week FOMO? And that's yeah. a fair question to ask because I go to a lot of Super Bowls, as I mentioned before. Yeah. I we get it, I, Doug. We get it. Well, we get but it. this year I'm not. Bowl, so I've got all the programs behind me of the games I've been. But so I went to 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019. He's listing the Super Bowls again. He's listing Didn't go to 2020. The Super Bowls. Oh went to my 2021, god, he's doing it again. And now I'm not at 2022 because it's true. I got laid off, and I'm gonna have a new job soon. But it wasn't in time to go to like. The Senior Bowl, the Super Bowl, the Combine, all those different things. So do I have Super Bowl Media Week FOMO? I did as people were tweeting that they were arriving. I was like, mm-hmm. that would be cool to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hope that like no one who makes monetary decisions in the future for me going to the Super Bowl is listening to this. And if just they turn are, it off. And if mute. they are, turn off or just no, rate that- and subscribe. Write and subscribe, yes, write, write a review, yes. and just kind of zone out for the next minute while you write out. that review. Um, I And just know that I would come prepared with content that matters, that is worth sending me to the Super Bowl for. But, like, as I'm just paying attention, like, I'm, I'm not, like, constantly on Twitter. I have tweet notifications sent to my phone. I'm not, like, I'm not on YouTube checking out every single piece of Super Bowl week content. But I would say that, like, none of it really matters. Honestly, like almost anything that happens at Radio Row doesn't really matter. Um, I haven't seen any like particularly explosive quotes. And I know that like if I was there, I would feel like everything that I was doing mattered to the nth degree. But like it does this not being there, it does kind of allow you to step back and be like, God, a lot of what's happening really doesn't matter. And like and there's some companies that send so many people to the Super Bowl and get like almost zero content out of it the entire week and those are the ones that i'm like really wondering about it's like why would you send like 15 people to the super bowl 
if no one's going to yeah. really do anything. Uh, it's a weird thing. Yeah. Uh, I I don't have FOMO this year, and it's because watching, like, like I watched or I listened to some Zolak and Bertrand today, and they had some good guests. Malcolm Butler was on. So right. uh, I've, I've been enjoying the radio content, but just seeing it in the background, it's identical every year <laughs> yes. that I'm not saying oh, I don't man. ever want to go again. Right. I'd love to go a bunch more times. Yeah. But seeing it all in the radio row and I know what the media workroom situation is and I know what sitting in that room for eight hours of my life every day. um, I experienced it a good amount. I relished it. I worked as hard as I could. To your point, everything there is the most important thing in the world when you're covering it and you're working sun up to sundown and beyond. But seeing it now, I'm like, I've literally done that. So it's it's. I don't need it's like when you ride a roller coaster six times and you right. see people riding it, you're like, I don't really need to ride it right now for the seventh time. I'll ride it in a couple of years, hopefully. So that's that's how I feel on it. Because it is it's it's like Groundhog Day when you see all the banners set up in Radio Row, oh, yeah. all the Super yes. Bowl banners, all the tables. The only yeah. one that was different, I guess, was the mall, but it was right. in a freaking mall, so it kind of sucked. So <laughs> do you, I'm okay do you know with what, taking a little gap. Do you know what did it for me? It was I was at the gym, not a big deal. I'm going on vacation wow. next week. Curls? What are we doing? Chest? Um, drive? I back? was I might have just been like walking on a treadmill because I had okay. done mm. I had done some I lifting. Said something different. Yeah. I, okay. I had done some lifting. I actually I don't know. I might have been doing some like some bench press with dumbbells. But okay. on at the gym that I go to, they had yes. NBC Sports Boston on. And poor Felger and Holly are doing their BST at night in a completely empty, empty radio row. And like, I've done that. Oh, it's just the worst. Like when it, yeah. it like sort of sucks when everyone's around, but it sucks so much worse if you are like one of the 10 last people at radio row in just a way that like you can't fully explain because it is just this like hustle and bustle place. But if you have to be working and like, the Atlanta Super Bowl, I had to do TV every night there. So, like, every night at, like, 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock or 10 o'clock, whatever it was, like, I had to be at Radio Row when no one else was there and everyone else was, like, eating dinner or having fun or whatever it is, and you're just, like, in this completely empty Radio Row. So, like, that's what really got me and did it for me, where I was like, you know what? Like, being here at the gym or whatever, like, might be better than being on Radio Row completely alone right now. In Houston, I did the show with Felger and Tangway at like, you know, 10 o'clock at night. And as we mentioned, Houston, everything I was I my hotel was 9000 miles from the convention center. So I had to drive in and that convention center was like four city blocks. And so I went in one door and I have to walk like nine miles and I was like dead tired. and I just wanted a coffee. And like there was no coffee within five blocks. And I'm like, there was a Starbucks or something in the building. And so I walked eight miles to get there and it was closed. And I was just like, oh. So it was it was one of those it was one of those situations where yeah. yeah once once the PM drive shows East Coast shut down around right. six PM Eastern and you know five Central four Mountain yeah I didn't, I wasn't there in L A but I'm sure it was three it, it just really dies down and empties yes. out and it is it oh, is yeah. kind of a sad but you know what the saddest time is is like if you're there on Saturday before the game. Right, because all the radio guys are gone. Like it's just picked over. It looks like you're looking for vultures just sitting to pick at carcasses, Uh, which there's probably like leftover pizza boxes and stuff. Have you been there on? It's an unhealthy scene. Have you been there on a Monday? Monday, 
Maybe. I don't think so, though. Monday, you feel like you're in a you feel like you're in like a zombie movie by Monday because like, yeah. it's you're so tired by the end of the week. And like, for some reason, you have to go to Radio Row or like the media center or whatever it is. And it's just like, yeah, it's more desolate than you can ever possibly imagine. Um, I'm trying to think of whether to tell a story. I, I have I told you the story about how I knocked over an entire wall at Radio Row once? Not sure. I don't think so. It was in Atlanta. Um, I had like just met a few reporters the day before. Um, they were like some cool reporters, whatever. And I was rushing to get to the Nesson Radio Row spot at the Atlanta Super Bowl. And at the Atlanta Super Bowl, the at Radio Row, like the wall like that you have to get through like there's doors but it didn't really show like where the doors were and there was velcro on the doors as well so like and i think they pulled outward they didn't pull like yeah. forward so this is I was like, like like a like a 25 foot wall and like separating yes. conference room I'd say, yeah right? it's like 25 by like 50 by 25 and like the yeah. walls are all like like waist high so i'm like yeah. rushing to get to where i'm going i'm probably like wearing a suit or i'm like trying to put my suit on i'm like trying to get this live shut done and like i think i must have pushed like very hard on what i thought was a door and instead i just like toppled over the wall and the entire wall fell down around me and i had like people like rushing over to see like if i was okay cool reporter friends I had met the day before were walking by at that very moment that I had collapsed <laughs> the entire wall at Radio Row. And like, like, I guess it wouldn't like, it might not be like the most embarrassing moment in my life, but like, that's usually like, if you see someone being like, what was the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you? Like, that's like one of the first things that comes to mind yeah. for me. Yeah. You uh, almost did a murder is what you're saying. <laughs> yes. Did it yes. fall where you're in the doorway and it just falls everywhere, but you're just like perfectly fit through the opening and live? No, I fell over too. I like I collapsed oh. with the entire wall, and I'm I guess I'm lucky that like it wasn't a domino effect where like every single <laughs> like wall at Radio Row fell over. Just mass but, like, casualties and you're to <laughs> yes. blame. That would be tough. That would be difficult. Um, but yeah, that was fun. Uh, but also yeah. Super Bowl week, Roger Goodell talked, and we like Did he? we don't need to talk that long about roger goodell um but i saw that you wrote about roger goodell and his bizarre press conference today and i don't know i've got the clip loaded in here of run it run the clip roger goodell's like okay okay so jim trotter who's a uh, a black uh, nfl reporter or nfl media reporter asked roger goodell a question and roger goodell is going to answer the question i feel like we can't fully talk about this until unless you hear the full clip but it is two minutes and 22 seconds so if you've already heard it you could skip forward two minutes and 22 seconds but we're going to talk about it so if you haven't heard it you probably should listen to it hey roger uh jim trotter nfl media um you and other league officials have said that the league's commitment to diversity equity and inclusion extend beyond the sidelines and beyond the front offices and is applied to all aspects of the company I've worked at NFL media for five years. During those five years, we have never had a black person in senior management in our newsroom. That's a problem because we cover a league who, according to league data, the player population is 60 to 70% black, which means that there is no one who looks like these players at the table when decisions are being made about how they are covered. 
more concerning is that for a year plus now, we have never had a full-time black employee on the news desk, which again is a problem because we cover a league whose player population is 60 to 70% black according to league data. I asked you about these things last year and what you told me is that the league had fallen short and you were going to review all of your policies and practices to try and improve this. And yet a year later, nothing has changed. You know, James Baldwin once said that I can't believe what you say because I see what you do. And so I would ask you as an employee, when are we in the newsroom going to have a black person in senior management and when will we have a full-time black employee on the news desk? Well, Jim, um, I am not in charge of the newsroom. Um, so I, what I think the, the can I answer your question? As you point out, it's the same question you asked last year. And we did go back, and we have reviewed everything we've been doing across the league. And we are looking at everything from vendors that we're working with to partners that we're working with to ownership where we've seen significant changes in diversity just this year. And I'm not specific, do not know specifically about the media business. We'll check in again with our people, but I am comfortable that we made significant progress across the league. I can't answer the specific questions. Some of the data you may have raised there may be accurate, maybe not. Last year, I was told some of it wasn't. We'll get to you on that. We want to make progress across the board, and that includes in the media room. And so those are things that we'll continue to look at and hopefully make real progress to. I can't answer because I do not know specifically what those numbers are today. Doug, yes. first answer. The first response is, I'm not in charge of the newsroom. Just absolving himself from any and all responsibility, despite being in charge of the league, despite actually having say. It's not as if he, this is ownership decisions on head coaches and whatnot. This is the NFL media. First is that. Second is just nonsense filibuster. Well, you you forget uh, we, that we do he, this. He like interrupted Jim Trotter yeah. trying to like do a follow up on on Roger Goodell saying that he's not in charge of the media and yes. being like pretty rude about it. Being like, shut up, hey, hey, shut right. the hell up, okay? I yeah. let you talk. Um, so that's that. Uh, second was not we look at vendors and everything. Or shut up, just filling time. Yeah. Third is uh, you asked this question last year, and I've been told some of your data was wrong. And I went back and watched his question last year. Jim Trotter's question last year was actually longer, and it said 13 teams in the NFL have had either one or zero. No, sorry, 24 teams in the NFL have had either one or zero black head coach, and 13 teams have had zero black head coaches. Then he said there's been one black team president. Uh, he mentioned the number of of zero majority owners who are black and that if the data was if they're quibbling on interim titles or whatever it's the larger point is still true and if you believe that the league needs to work on diversity inclusion and equity then you hear this question you say absolutely we need to be better but instead it's this defensive attack like on the question yeah and if you believe in the in the ethos of the question and the question asker you don't respond that way and Roger Goodell does not believe in any of that. And his his instinct was to attack. And I just think it's such an easy thing to handle. It's the one difficult question this man faced in this farce of a press conference. And he absolutely fell in his face. Now, you hear my response to that? I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But <laughs> nothing's going to happen to Roger Goodell ever. But I, that's my response. If I feel like if that question at like a normal business... If that question had been posed at like a meeting, like because that's like 
like Jim Trotter is an employee of Roger Goodell. Like Roger Goodell is mm -hmm. the commissioner of the NFL and Jim Trotter is an NFL employee. Like if that question had been made at a normal business meeting and if the answer to that question, which is a sensitive question, had been that contentious, I feel like, like there might not be like an uprising among, among employees, but there would be a lot of a lot more questions for that boss to face after that meeting. And I'm just shocked that no one is talking about this answer that Roger Goodell gave to Jim Trotter. And I, like we never talk about politics or anything on this podcast, but like Roger Goodell saying that that part at the end where he's like, you asked the same question last year. I don't know if your data's right or if it's wrong. I don't know if your data last year. Like, it was just a very Trumpian response at the end of that question, just like to completely diminish everything that he had just said by being like, yeah, yeah, I heard that some of your data was wrong last year. Like, it was just very, very strange. Yeah. I don't know why he, he decided to answer this question like, that way. She would be like, you have an ugly wife, just to, <laughs> just to cap it off. But no, it's but insane. the data provided here was that sixty to seventy percent of the right. are black. Are you disputing that? I, I don't know. Do you or is he disputing like, is that they haven't had a like someone on the news desk, or if they haven't had yeah. like a like that's not data. That's I, I don't know. It was insane. Yeah, I just me. feel like to your point, the forward-facing head of a company, a multi-billion-dollar <laughs> yes. corporation, should take on the thought process to listen. I think if yes. anything has has happened over the past few years uh, in the country. It has been for people like you and me, Doug, to maybe shut up and listen once in a right. while. Yes. And Roger Goodell's, Roger Goodell's response is instead to, to say, "Shut up, listen, shut <laughs> that, up, that Jim Trotter, insane. listen to me." Um, but you're the look I mean, on his face when he was like, "Can I answer your question?" Yes. Which, yeah, and, and it felt like a really, it felt like a three-hour-long question Jim Trotter asked, but it was eighty seconds, uh, eighty seconds of Goodell. To, to calmly prepare and instead he just got fired up and pissed it was i watch those every year doug i've been at them i've tried to ask questions at them yeah, unsuccessfully I, I, three I different times yeah um he lies he deceives he gaslights he corporate speaks his way through everything one time he said it's more dangerous to sit on your couch than play in the nfl uh with a straight face he said that he lied about uh when they tabulated PSI, num PSI numbers across the league for a year and threw them all away because they proved that PSI numbers actually do change in the atmosphere. Scientists weren't lying about it. Uh, he just said, oh, no, those we didn't track that. He just lies at those things, but usually it's stupid football stuff maybe. When it's real stuff like concussions, player safety, or in this case, diversity and equity and inclusion within his own company from an employee, to respond that way is just insane. And if that was like another Fortune 500 company, it would be all over the news. But because he's yeah. a bozo and it's what he does, I don't. I don't know that anyone else wrote about it. Did I, I'm sure people I, did, but just in sports media, I should say. If that had happened on like a, like a Disney company call or something <laughs> oh like God, that, right? Like like the like this like the shareholders meetings. Exactly. Yes. Like not only yeah, like there'd probably be calls for him to be fired. Like yeah. I I know like maybe I'm overreacting to this a little bit, but like. That response was just so bizarre to me, and I, I don't know. I mean, like you said, he gets away with it because, like, the – I don't know. Yeah. It, it, I he's always the, go back he's to – the shield. Yeah. I mean, everyone knows it. The the owners love him because right. we Doug, – Doug Kide and Mike Hurley sit here and bash Roger Goodell. We're not bashing the owners. But in this case, the, the owners didn't do anything wrong. No. In this case, it's Roger. It's the, it's the rare case where Roger could have handled it like a human and could have listened – 
but right. instead went into defensive attack mode, which is a bit insane given the 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 nature of the subject and the in the the topic at hand. I always just go back to the fact that he just straight up lied about Tom Brady during the whole Deflategate yes. thing when yes. Tom Brady was like freely admitting that he was talking to, to the ball boys more because Deflategate was going on, just Jemski. And then in whatever that was, the appeal that hearing. Roger Goodell hearing wrote or spoke at or whatever he was like oh yeah tom brady was deceptive about talking more to john jastrzemski it was like just a complete and utter outright uh, lie that he told about tom brady and so i'll tell you about that doug so he said that when when brady was asked what he talked to jastrzemski about brady exclusively said it was about preparing balls for the super bowl and Goodell's line was i did not find that credible and then because of judge richard berman in new york unsealing the transcript yes. of the Tom Brady hearing, which to me changed the entire case. Everyone knows Mike Hurley, the flake guy. I was not what I was prior to the unsealing of Tom yeah. Brady's appeal hearing with Roger Goodell, which I've heard from a source in the room that Roger Goodell was falling asleep during, uh, which multiple times Roger, Roger Goodell couldn't follow what was going on if you look at the transcript. Right. But once that came out, it became clear that Tom Brady did say, yeah, I talked to him about it. It was yes. in the news. I was checking on him. I was right. seeing if he was okay. I said he'd be fine. We met. We talked about it. We did talk about the balls, too. So there was there was an out-and-out lie. And then the NFL uh, lawyer, Paul Clement, repeated that to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. And I was sitting there. And it didn't dawn on me till that night. I got home. It was like 1 in the morning. I'd come home from New York. And I was like, holy crap. They lied to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. So I wrote that. And then I remember the Washington Post is that where Sally Jenkins writes? Yeah. Coincidentally wrote it the next night. Mm. No source, no cite, no citation, but that's okay. Either way, uh, they lied at that level of the court, and the court still ruled in his favor. So the man can get away with anything. You mentioned Donald Trump. Remember he said he could walk down Fifth Avenue and shoot someone? Yeah. Roger Goodell is kind of at that level. The owners would be like, you know, that person uh, he does, posed he a threat. Yeah, it was a danger. Um. Yeah, so that might be enough. Oh, one last point on Roger Goodell. And I, I this is not even worth talking about, but I just think it's funny that he was like, yeah, Russell Wilson called me up and said we should do flag football. So then they decided to do flag football for the Pro Bowl. And, like, this was just so similar to him saying, like, yeah, Bill Polian told me that overtime should be shorter. So that's why we shorten overtime. Like, if anyone prominent in Roger Goodell's life just calls him up and offers up an idea he's just going to take like that's not the way to lead a company that's insane that's bizarre you shouldn't just be listening to russell wilson about things <laughs> you shouldn't be listening to russell wilson about most things no. i would say but let that be a lesson to anyone with influence like tony dungy should call him up be like you should give me 50 million dollars right. maybe roger be like that's a great idea i i don't know it's just very bizarre that roger goodell just offers up this information that like one person told him that doing something would be a good idea and then he just blindly follows them and your last point on roger was you know we should that officiating is at an all-time high it's never been better i just think you have a guy in walt anderson running the show walt anderson in 20 i don't know 17 18 was so bad that the nfl actually came out and said yeah he screwed up and shouldn't have done that walt anderson was in charge of the replay room that didn't review was it john not john no isaiah mckenzie whoever on the on the bills this year clearly didn't catch it in that vikings game they should have stopped the game they didn't uh, they should have stopped the Devonte Smith play 
in in Philadelphia. You talk about gaslighting. He was asked about the third down replay in Kansas City when they replayed it down. He's like, that, that's pretty common. It happens quite a bit. Nobody oh in the God. history of the sport has no. said they've seen that before, let no. alone on a championship game level. No. And Roger's just like, yeah, that happens a lot. So, it, I mean, again, that's more like the football stuff that you and I and people like us deal with. But yeah. my God, man, it's on. It's it's surviving those things. You don't you don't drink. This is why I drink. This is why I drink. The Roger Goodell <laughs> press conference every year. Uh, all right, let's talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. Uh, I think that we're on different sides of the coin here. Uh, I think that you believe that the Eagles are going Heads. to win. Yep. <laughs> I'm I'm tails. Tails never fails. Uh, and I believe that the Chiefs are going to win. And my case for this is that in in most data, the Chiefs and the Eagles are pretty close. Like, Chief, Eagles have a better running game. Um, on, Eagles have a better overall defense. Eagles' pass defense is better. Chiefs' run defense is better. Haven't really taken a close look at special teams. But I'm a big Jalen Hurts guy. I like Jalen Hurts a lot. Patrick Mahomes is so significantly better than any other quarterback in the NFL. So like he, Agree. He's, he's the difference. He's the difference in, in, in this game. And You're right. I think that the rest of the teams are pretty similar. Like the Chiefs have a good offensive line. Chiefs wide receivers this year were way better than I expected them to be. They've got the best tight end in the NFL. They've got a good defense. Like, But then you've got Patrick Mahomes. And I think that, I don't know, it's a very simplistic way of looking at this game, but he is significantly better than Jalen Hurts. And yeah, the I don't disagree. Well, they've played some teams along the way played 17 games but i get you um the i'm with you because i do believe the eagles win i think they're a better team i think they've whooped ass all year that's what they spent the year doing but when they do put the quarterback comparison on the screen i'm like oh i don't know about that but i'll tell you what doug because i I accidentally published my pick tonight uh instead of tomorrow morning which is fine give the people what they want yep um the the red zone is a significant factor do you know the chiefs rank in red zone defense uh, I'm just trying to find it because I wasn't prepared as necessary. Um, let me see here. Give me a second. Yeah. Uh, they allowed touchdowns on 67% of opponents' red zone trips, which was 31st in the NFL. Now, the other side of that, the Eagles had the third best red zone offense. Mm-hmm. They also had the fifth best running game, and they had the fourth best third down conversion percentage, and they were. I think third and fourth down conversion percentage. So my point is if they can run the ball, mm-hmm. convert their third downs, convert a couple fourth downs, get to the red zone and score, which uh, also the Chiefs rank 32nd in pass touchdowns allowed, which is dead last if you're not good at counting uh, anyone out there. I struggle with it myself, so I want to help. So I just think all those things combined, and if you can get one pick on Patrick Mahomes, Mm-hmm. and thus prevent the number one offense from scoring on one of their drives while playing good defense. I think the, the Eagles have the third overall or eighth overall. Third in yards, eight in points. Yeah. Um, they can win, but, man, if anything goes wrong for the Eagles, whether it be a fumble, whether it be a muffed punt, whether it be, I don't know, a, a special teams touchdown the other way, it will go to the Chiefs. It is a delicate thing, but I yeah. do think – I don't think the Eagles are going to win 40-7. to seven. Uh, but I, I I do think if the Eagles play their game, which they're capable of, they're going to win maybe like thirty to twenty four. Chief secondary scares me a little bit. Um, they lost Trevarius Ward, which wasn't great. They lost Mike Hughes, which was a little bit less great, uh, or was it a little bit better. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. Um, but 
I don't know. Like, this isn't a game that the Eagles can just, like, put away with a running game, I don't think. And that's what they like to do. Jalen Hurts is a cheat code on third and fourth down, yeah. which is a yeah. big factor in that. Um, he had a ton of designed runs this season, but a lot of those designed runs were just QB sneaks because, what, do you have, like, 14 rushing touchdowns, something like that this season. Um, and those were primarily 13. QB sneaks. Um, 13. And, yeah, he – for for how many times he – rush the ball this season i think only like 30 percent of them or something like that were scrambles so it was a ton of design yeah. runs on his uh you know uh, patrick mahomes i think had almost as many scrambles this season as jalen hurts which is kind of weird because he probably ran the ball like a third as many times i don't know though like the chiefs are just they're gonna come back no matter what the deficit is you can't put the ball in patrick mahomes hands with 30 seconds left down seven points and expect to not go to overtime. Uh, the the Eagles defense has been great, but it's also just, I don't know how much this matters and it's not an analytical way of looking at this, but their path to the playoffs, they lost two of three to finish off the season. Granted, well, two of out. those, two of those were with Gardner Minshew at quarterback, but then once they get to the playoffs, they had to beat a giants team, which was a, a, one of the worst playoff teams to have won a playoff game, maybe in the last 20 to 30 years, something like that. Um, Let me interject. And then a 49ers though. team that didn't have a quarterback. But with the Giants, I know they weren't great. They had no championship chance. But they were the toughest team to to put away this year. They were right. – uh, I think they finished 13-4 and four against the spread or something. They were – they never got blown out. They were, they were tough as balls. They had a great head coach, and they got – whooped in that game what was it 38 to 7 so I I think that's where you can look at that and I guess the championship game is sort of you can't really look at that for much so I'll give you that one but I just think the fact that they trashed the Giants yeah uh does stick out to me um I think there's two things that will probably happen and will make everyone go crazy one you know the dots the NFL next gen dots there's been at least one time maybe two this year where you could see the dots just sort of separate on a designed run for Jalen Hurts, like between the guard and tackle. And there's just, there's no safety. There's no linebacker. And it's just an 80 yard touchdown. And it's like, great job, everybody. So that might happen. And Travis Kelsey running through a zone, running a little, maybe 15 to 20 yard hook and just having endless amounts of space around him as Patrick Mahomes casually flicks a ball to him. And then he catches it and runs for 30 more yards. That's going to happen too. I don't, I don't care what defense you're playing. If you're in zone, put a man on Travis Kelsey to at least try to follow him around because I'm sick of seeing Travis Kelsey run into these, like the biggest openings in zones I've ever seen him. He was asked about it this week. How are you always wide open? And he was like, Andy Reid, baby. And it's like, no, damn it. It's everyone being stupid. Just please a little, a little heads up when 87, the best receiving threat they have, put a guy on him. Just keep some eyeballs on him. That's all. Uh, one last point on Patrick Mahomes. I think the throws are getting a little too cute. I don't think he needs to underhand the ball as often as he does. I think that like sometimes the amount of touch he puts on a ball is a little bit too much just because like he wants to do it a little bit too fancy. I just I I think mixing in some overhand throws would would help sometimes. Yeah. Well, he fumbled that one in the championship game, so you got to be watch watch out for that. Absolutely. Um we have two more notes in here, I believe. One of them is did you know the Brian Kinchin story? Uh, that came out on NFL Films today, Twitter, and I did not know that entire story. Me neither. And it was it was wild. 
Yeah. Uh, I also didn't I know that the... Brian Kinchin had been a tight end at Cleveland before yeah. he transitioned. Well, long snapper's got to do something, right? He had like not many <coughs> catches, but he had like a thousand uh, story... yards or something in his career. Oh, wow. All right, good for him. Yeah, he's a, he looked like a football player. Um, the the 32nd version, well, first of all, go to NFL Films Twitter and watch it because it was yeah. rarely, I will say rarely, do I see an eight-minute video on Twitter and watch it. And right. I watched that whole damn thing. It was great. It was basically Lonnie Paxton got hurt, and then yep. they, they hired a, a long snapper named Sean McDermott, but not that one. He got mm-hmm. hurt after one game. Great job. Thanks for coming. <laughs> and Bill Belichick and Scott Pioli were like, what about Kinchin? Because he was their long snapper in Cleveland. He'd been out the league for three years. Time. So it was 2003, and he hadn't played since 2000. He came out of his seventh-grade teaching job and joined the Patriots, played a couple games in the regular season, and then they had that freezing cold game against Tennessee, yeah. and he skipped a, punt, a pass, uh, excuse me, skipped a snap to Ken Walter, who fielded it and got a punt off, uh, had a high one in the AFC Championship game on a field goal, which was fielded and the kick was good. Remember, that was a game where Hunter Smith was punting for the first time in like six weeks for the Colts, and the snap went straight over his head. That yeah. was hilarious. Um but then the Super Bowl week, he wanted to quit. He wanted to go home. He had some bad. He he bounced two snaps. He said he never put a ball on the ground in 13 years. Basically he did got it four the yips. Times. Yeah, yeah, he got the yips, and it came down to the field goal. You know what happened? I just think it's it was a really cool. Well, story he also that cut his hand hours before the Super meal. Bowl. Yeah. Well, the way I will say this, I will criticize NFL Films for this. They said then he cut himself, and I'm like, oh, I know. Like, I was like, purpose. oh, that, like, that went dark. Yeah, I didn't know what the hell this story yeah. was going to turn. Uh, but he cut himself with a knife, cutting a bread roll or something. And I'll criticize NFL Films. They used the uh, old lineman eating KFC clearly I know. after practice video from like Foxborough. Right. It was not a pregame meal. I know they don't have that footage, but I don't yeah. know. Maybe do like, like a dramatic reenactment. I was like, what was he cutting a fried chicken breast? Like, like, yeah, with a, but with a plastic way. fork. Like in my mind, it was a plastic fork that he was using on KFC. <laughs> <laughs> in my yeah. head, that's how it looked. Either way, he said he put three ball. He put zero balls on the ground in 13 years, and then he put four. He yeah. bounced four snaps in that playoffs. But I think it's just a cool story because never – like I've watched all the DVDs, uh, read all the books, the magazines, and all that mm. stuff. I never I, – I vaguely remember it being sort of a point of contention that night because Vinatieri right. missed one and had one blocked. So it was, when he went up for the winning kick, it was sort of on your mind. But the whole story, definitely didn't know it. There was an, an SI article a few years ago, and there's a book about him. But missed those too. So if you want eight minutes instead of a book – then you can go read the book. Absolutely. Uh, and you are you continue to be shadow banned on Twitter. Is that is that true? Oh, well, one more thing. I don't talk about dreams very much, but I want oh, yeah. you to, I yeah, want yeah, this yeah. On, I want this on record uh, in case it happens. I had a dream the Super Bowl was at Arrowhead. Uh, excuse me, G E H A field at Arrowhead. And <laughs> um, yeah, the the Eagles were down 5 with 4 minutes left on like the 35-yard line, 3rd and 9. And then Joe Mixon, uh, famous Philadelphia Eagle of course, Runs down to the five-yard line. I think I had something in my head from, from the AFC <coughs> Championship game. So Mixon gets them to first and goal, right? They run a play, get stuffed. And then on second down, they kick a field goal, Philadelphia was. And the, and the thought is, you kick it now, you stop them, then you kick the field goal to win, rather than score the <laughs> touchdown and let the Chiefs score the, game, the game-winning the game field goal with a few minutes left. And it was like analytics gone wild. Twitter wow. was going crazy. I tweeted in my dream. I said, Mr. Sirianni, sir. Great tweet. Uh, let's save that one. <laughs> And then I went downstairs to the pool. I don't know where I was in my dream to watch the end. And everyone had just filed out of Arrowhead Stadium. The Chiefs had won. I don't know what happened. So just be aware of Sirianni making a very analytical decision, whether it's I don't think he'll kick a field goal down five from the five yard. Down five. You got to kick the field goal. You got to do it. (laughs) 
But I figured yeah, it out. Get confidence like, in your defense. So my brain, while sleeping, figured out you kick it, yeah. you stop them, and you just need a field goal to win. And you can get a field goal. Everyone gets the field goal to win. Yeah. You don't want to give that opportunity because if you score a touchdown, you only have two or three. Right. I, I think so. Just be 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 aware of that. Uh, that that could happen. And then the update on the shadow ban. Elon yeah. Musk thought he was getting shadow banned too. So it's not just me. Uh, and people told him he, his like popularity rating is down, his interest, and the people that told him that got fired. You can read that story on the internet. Wow. Too. Um. Well. Jeez. Before we go, Doug. Before yeah. we go, because I didn't know NFL honors is happening tonight. Oh yeah. So we got to put our predictions down. So when people listen to this after the oh, fact, they're like, "Those guys are geniuses." All right, MVP. Uh, Patrick Patrick Mahomes. I'm gonna go with Mahomes as well. Player of the year: Nick Bosa, Chris Jones, or Micah Parsons. Um, before the season, I said Parsons, but I think it's gonna be Bosa. All right, I'm going Parsons. Offensive player of the year: Hill, Hurts, Jefferson, Mahomes. Hill, Hurts, Jefferson, Mahomes. Jefferson? I got Jefferson on that one, too. Though, Tyreek Hill quietly had 1,700 yards this year. Pretty impressive. How weird would it be if Hurts won Offensive Player of the Year and Mahomes was MVP? Yeah. No, that can't (laughs) happen. Uh, Well, he did rush. I don't know. Whatever. Offensive Rookie of the Year. Brock Purdy, Kenneth Walker, Garrett Wilson. Uh, Wilson. Me, too. Uh, Defensive Rookie of the Year. Sauce Gardner, Aiden Hutchinson, Tariq Woolen. That's a good one. This one's really tough. That's a good one. I kind of feel like they're going to give it to Sauce, and he probably deserves it. Yeah, maybe Hutchinson. I'll go Hutchinson just to be different, but I think Sauce gets it too. Uh, comeback player of the year, Saquon, Christian McCaffrey, Gino. Uh, Tough one too. Who was the first one, Saquon? Uh, Gino. Saquon. I'll go Gino. See, I think it's Gino. It just depends. Do they go injury or do they go being irrelevant? Because <laughs> I think Saquon might get more votes on the injury factor, so I'll go Saquon. Coach of the year. They actually narrowed this to three. Dayball. Yeah. Peterson and Shanahan, I believe. I think Sirianni and McDermott so have already ha- like, yeah, were immediately well, ruled out. Like Sirianni should win this award, right? Yeah, the biggest turnaround, the best team in the like. He he checks the boxes. Yeah, and hasn't won it before. Like it's it Bing Bang Boom. Does not and make any sense. So if they didn't eliminate him already, I would have picked Sirianni. But I would have too. Out, I'll go Dayball because that was a great turnaround as well. I'm gonna go Dayball as well. There's Although, no wrong like, pick too. The case for Peterson and Dable is pretty much the same. Yes. Shanahan, I guess. I don't know. He probably yeah. has he ever won before? I don't think he Coach of the Year is so probably stupid not. because like it feels like half the time whoever wins gets fired three years later anyway. It's just like yeah. uh, it's a dumb award. It hasn't hasn't um, uh hasn't what's his name? Hasn't Ron Rivera won it like more than Belichick or something? Yeah. The funniest one though, uh I wanna ch- Mike Smith won in two thousand eight. Uh, which is a pretty good, but there was one that was so funny where Belichick like obviously had Matt Nagy, uh, 2018 <laughs> coach of the year. Oh. So there you go. Uh, all right. We have one more and that is assistant coach of the year, Doug, which I have not done my homework on. Good Lord. Uh, ben Johnson, Lions OC, D'Amico Ryan's 49ers DC and Shane. What did, uh, Gronk call Shane Steichen? Uh, <laughs> Spikeman. Shane Spikeman. 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 Yeah, Spikeman. Spikeman. I'm going to go with, not the Lions OC. Uh, that's a fun one, though, because the Lions had a good season offense. I'm, I guess D'Amico because he got all the offseason publicity. So D'Amico Ryan's 45. I, my, my initial thought was Ben Johnson just because, I don't know, he's just yeah, like, who, I think that everyone like wants to like Ben Johnson, but I'll go with D'Amico. That's a really tough one, though. That's like you're kind of getting <laughs> into the weeds on that one, I feel like. I know. 
I mean, it's it's hard enough to judge head coaches in an right. award situation. That's why when everyone, everyone, whenever anybody says Dante Skarniecki, Hall of Famer, best offensive line coach right. ever, I'm like, yeah, like very possibly. But what are we <laughs> right. measuring that? Like, what is the criteria to even say that? I, right. I, I, I like, sure, all right, but it's also <laughs> maybe like not. it's so locally based. Like, I'm sure that someone in Atlanta thinks that they've got like the best like linebackers coach in NFL. It's like I don't know. Yeah. Dante Skarniecki, obviously, but there's a lot of good offensive line coaches throughout the NFL. I don't know. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, I don't like want to be. Patricia. This is not an ant. This is not a Dante Skarniecki podcast. <laughs> no, I, I. You get my point. Everyone yes. gets my point. No, I that was fun. I like the rapid, uh, unplanned. Uh, we should do award picks every week like that. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll create awards every week and then pick them. <laughs> All right. Well, this podcast, podcast has gone on. This might this is a record, I think, which is I guess it it makes sense. It's Super Bowl. It's a Super week. Bowl. This is our own radio row right here. Just me, That's right. you and I. Uh, but yeah, leave us a review, rate, review, subscribe, follow us on Twitter. You know where to find us, and we'll talk to you guys on Sunday after the Super Bowl. Right. Right. Super cool. Bowl Sunday. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.